You may ask, why do we do announcements and then announcements again? A couple of reasons. One, just to make sure you get it. But also, if uh, you're not able to be here or if you can't remember the announcements, you can go online because these announcements should be at the beginning of my lesson. So then you can just listen to the announcements online uh, and hear the lesson or just listen to the announcements. So uh, I'm just kind of reviewing these things for those that may not be able to join us or if you want to hear the announcements later again. Uh, but first of all, there's no midweek this week. Again, remind you, it's Valentine's Day. So gentlemen, you should already uh, have plans made. If not, it would be smart to make plans quickly. Get no response from that one, but that's all right. Also, uh, next Sunday, uh, I will not, my wife and I are going to do a marriage retreat in Westchester. So Sam Powell will be preaching the word of God for you this upcoming Sunday. This upcoming Friday is a Latin devotional, the team devotional. So this Friday here, want to remind you of that? They didn't really have that on Rosetta Stone. That was just me. But this Saturday is a Singles Edge devotional for the All New York City Church. Uh, that's going to be at 6:30 at the same place. But if you could please be mindful of that, and also I want to encourage you about uh, our Thrive Conference that's going to be in Rhode Island. So let me explain something to you about that. Uh, we are reserving buses now, so we're going to have buses that will be reserved. We'll probably get two, maybe three, for just the Bronx. But here's the thing. If you don't reserve, uh, register at the hotel and all that, the bus is going to go straight to the hotel and stop there. So if you're not registered at that hotel, you're going to have to get your stuff off the bus and walk to whatever hotel you're in. So it's smart to reserve your space now at the hotel so the bus will take you directly there. You get off, you go in, you're happy, you don't have to do a whole lot more. But if you wait to the last minute, that hotel may fill up and then you may have to go somewhere else to a local hotel two or three blocks away. So the smart thing would be, let me register now, so when the bus takes me there and drop off, I'm good to go. So let me encourage you again to register for the conference in Rhode Island. It's not till July, you have plenty of time, but if you register now, it makes things a lot easier for you. Because when you get there, and there are several thousand people walking around, you're going to be like, what in the world's going on? i got to find my hotel. So let's make sure you're all registered ahead of time. Amen? We had a great marriage midweek this past Wednesday. Uh, it was a great time of learning about each other. And we all um, learned a lot about Michelle Orange. Uh, that was very interesting. But now I want to get into our lesson. So if we can turn to our book of interest, Hebrews chapter 11. We have been studying about faith and the heroes of faith in the Bible. And so our first lesson was about Abel and why his offering was one of faith in comparison to his brothers, which who also gave an offering, but it wasn't out of faith, it was out of what he felt God needed. But Abel offered not just an offering, but one that would be a sacrifice, was well beyond just giving. Then we looked at Enoch and how Enoch walked with God. And we talked about what does it mean to walk with God. Well, even in your walk with God, there are landmarks where you need to be. Landmarks that shows love, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiving. You, don't, you want to walk down that path. You don't want to walk the walk of bitterness, 
anger, blaming others. Those aren't the landmarks you're looking for. So in our walk with God, what is it that our walk with God is, is showing in our lives? Then we looked at Noah, and we saw Noah's faith. To the point that his obedience to God even made it where he had issues in his family. When they closed the ark up, he had family members outside trying to get in. But God said, do not open the door, and he was obedient to God. That would be challenging, but that shows his faith level. Then we talked about Abraham, and how Abraham, he was a man that truly uh, trusted in God's promises. God promised he would have uh, uh, a countless number of offspring, but yet he asked him to sacrifice his one and only son. Didn't make sense. But he reasoned, if I just trust God, God is able to do the impossible. And so as he trusted God, God saw his heart. Do not sacrifice your son. You have shown me you truly love me and continue to bless him in a great way. Then we looked at Isaac and Isaac's uh, faith. Isaac was blessed above his brother. He, he got his blessing from his brother. He uh, sold his brother some, some, some stew for his blessing. And we look at that and think, that's kind of messed up. But yet, in reality, it was God's plan all along. Because even though he may have started out a deceitful little sneaky thing, God knew what he would turn into. And so many of us, you look at our lives, and we were pretty jacked up. But God knows what the future holds for us. And he says, even though that's how you were, I know what you're going to become. And Jacob is a man of God, a man that uh, they all look back to, the Jews, as he is a great example. And so now we get to Hebrews 11, verse 21, and it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, Jacob lived for 147 years, and 17 of those years was in the land of Egypt. Now his last hours are accounted for in chapters 47 through 49 in the book of Genesis. And then in chapter 50 the book ends. But there's a lengthy period of time talking about Jacob's death. Which isn't normal. Usually they say they live and then they die. They live then they die. But they kind of explain Jacob's death because it is of utmost importance for us to understand what his death really meant. And the blessings before he died really meant. So let's turn back to Genesis chapter 47. This is going to be one of those lessons where you're going to have to really think a lot. And it's not like we're going to take you to school, but you're going to learn something deeper than just the fluff religious stuff. Genesis 47, we're going to start in verse 28, 28 through 31. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest of my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him. And Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. You know, at first, this scene could come across like it's pretty sad. Jacob is dying. You know, he's a man that trusts God. And here he is in his last days. But his death isn't what's important. Jacob's family isn't what's important. This is a statement of faith. And that's what's important. 
Because Jacob believed that Israel will inherit the promised land. Even to the point that he says, when I die, I want to be buried back there because I know that's God's land. God promised that to them. I don't want to be buried here. I want to be buried back there. And although they haven't claimed it yet, I know they're going to because that's what God said. And I still trust God. This is about somebody staying faithful to God's promises to their dying day. He didn't just give up because he didn't have it right then and there and he was about to die. He said, no, I still believe in God. And I want you to bury me there. And Jacob said, yes, I will. And you could just tell he had a sigh of relief as he just leaned on his staff. You don't know how you have just fulfilled my life by allowing me to know that I'm going to be buried in the promised land that God promised. Now turn back to Hebrews 11 real quick. We're going to come back to Genesis, but I want to show you something. Hebrews 11, verse 13. It's talking about the people in the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. And in verse 13 it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking about a country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All these people of faith that are in the Bible here, that is talked about in the Hall of Faith, they may not have received what they wanted, but yet they were longing for a better place. See, faith isn't just getting, grasping what you want. It's still trusting in God if he doesn't give it to you when you think you should have it. This is what faith is all about. Still trusting in God even if there's trials and tribulations that you're going through. And so these men and women of faith trusted him. Jacob, on his dying day, still trusted God, did not waver. But said, bury me in the promised land. Now let's go back to Genesis 48 again. Genesis 48, verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. Now what we're going to do, we're going to go through the whole chapter of 28 and kind of break it down for us to understand it. So at this point, a time has gone by and Jacob is entering his final hours. And I always have pictured it as if, you know, his son Joseph hears about this and he wants to take the grandkids and go see Grandpa one last time. And I'm picturing these little kids bopping around, but that's not how it was. Because there was a, a seven years of famine, of prosperity, I'm sorry, and then seven years of famine. And these boys were born in the first seven years during the prosperity. Well then, Jacob came and lived 17 more years with uh, Joseph. So the kids were probably 18 to 20 years of age. It wasn't that they were just these little bitty babies running around. These were adult boys that were there. And so when you picture these adult men, especially in that culture, at 13 you were an adult. But here you got these adult men that are coming to be blessed by grandpa. And in verse 2 it says, When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. 
Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of people and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now Luz is also called Bethel. And that's the place where Jacob had his dream. So Jacob is telling Joseph, his son, and his grandkids, when I was at Luz, when I was at Bethel, I had this dream. We're going to look at that in a minute. I had this dream, and God told me everything that was going to occur in this dream. He said, you're going to be prosperous. You're going to have numerous land, numerous offspring. And he has blessed me. And he said, this is what is going to occur for you. And look at chapter and verse 5. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they will inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I, as I was returning from Padam, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrat. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrat, that is Bethlehem. Now this passage might seem a little strange, and we might wonder what's going on at this point. Well, Jacob has now adopted his grandkids on his deathbed. In verse 5 it says, now your two sons born to you in Egypt, they will be reckoned as mine. He's saying, now why would this guy want to adopt his grandkids like this? That, that just doesn't make sense. But we've got to keep in mind, everything that's going on here in his last days has to do with what God blessed him with when he had his dream. So when Jacob adopts Joseph, he grants them, adopts Joseph's children, he grants them the rights and privileges of his own kids. So those are no longer Joseph's kids. You've got to remember, those are now going to be his kids. Now, any kids after them, that's for Joseph. But those two are going to be his kids. Now, all this occurred because the wife that he loved, Rachel, uh, she died at a young age and was not able to give him more kids. So he adopted these two kids as his. Now, if you look, if you have your Bible, if you look in the back, you have a map. But even if you don't, we got a map here for you showing the division of the land of the children of Israel, the 12 tribes. Now, as you look at it, the Levi, uh, there were no land allotted for Joseph or Levi. The Levites were priests, so they didn't have any possessions. And Joseph didn't get any land, but Jacob blessed his two kids, Ephraim and Manasseh. So through Joseph, those two kids would have the lineage carried on. So Joseph didn't get any of that. He kind of got a double portion because he got two sons that were able to inherit that. So as Jacob is saying, your kids are now my kids, that means they are now going to get a part of the blessing that God gave me when I had a dream way back in love. Y'all follow me here? Okay, okay, making sure. So Joseph's descendants, they received this land because of Jacob's blessing through Joseph to Esau, I mean to Ephraim and Manasseh. Now the reason this goes on, look at verse 8. When Israel saw that his sons, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? 
They are the sons God has given me. Joseph said to his father, Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I can bless them. Now at this point, Jacob's eyesight was getting bad. He was getting old in his age. I mean, he couldn't even see who his grandsons were across the room. So he told them who they were, and he said, Okay, bring them to me. Grandpa's got something for you here. Once he realized it, he said, I need to bless them. Now again, this wasn't just kind words from grandpa to grandkids. This was illegally binding. This was spiritually binding the blessing that they received. So it wasn't just something to make them feel good. This was something that was God directed to them. You got to remember what we just read in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. So we understand that this was a declaration from God. It wasn't just a good family, feel good time. God told Jacob what he wants. So by faith, he told everybody else what God had revealed to him. So in verse 10, again, Now Israel's eyes were falling because of his age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed from them, removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was firstborn. So at this point, Joseph brings the boys in, and now they're sitting there. And so he places the older one next to Jacob's right hand. Because according to policy or protocol, the right hand was the authority, was the power. So the firstborn should be on the right hand, on the right side, and the younger on the left. So then as they start to bow down and pray, Jacob crosses his hands. Now they don't really know what's going on because everybody's bowing down and praying. But there was a reason for him doing what he did. So at first this goes unnoticed. And look at verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God whom, who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly upon the earth. And there's a lot more to this, but he blesses them. So let me take you over real quick. We'll come back there in a minute, but to chapter 28, Genesis 28. Because I want to get the full meaning of how this connects to the promise that was given back then. So in chapter 28, verse 10, this is Jacob's dream. Verse 10 through 22. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with his top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out 
to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring, back to, bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set up as a pillar and poured oil on it. He called that place Bethel, though it, through the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, I will give my food and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So as Jacob is blessing the boys, he recalls everything that God told him that night. He said, the, the father, the God of my father, of my grandfather, will now be your own very God. The blessings he told me I will receive for me, for my country, for my land, will now be your blessings. He was passing everything through him to Joseph's boys. These two boys will become heirs of God's promise to Abraham. So he promised Abraham, it went down, and now these promises are going to these two boys here. So now as he's hearing this, all of a sudden Jacob opens his eyes as they're praying. You know, sometimes you just look up, kind of see what's going on. So now Jacob looks up, and look what happens back in Genesis 48. I know I got you flipping, but work with me. Genesis 48, verse 17. So he's praying, he's blessing the boy. Jacob opens his eyes and see what's going on. When Jacob saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce his blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. So Jacob finally realized that, that I mean, Joseph finally realized that Jacob had mixed up the two, and so he tried to switch it, switch it back on. No, Dad, you're wrong. No, do it like that. But Jacob knows something that Joseph and everybody else in the room doesn't know. He knows this is from God. See, he didn't do this because that's what happened to him. He was a younger brother, so he got the blessing over the older brother, so he wanted to pay it forward. That wasn't what he did. He said, this isn't a pay it forward. This isn't a being nice. This is God's will that the younger is greater than the older. And he makes this clear. This was a part of God's promise that he gave to his people. Again, the same promise he said in verse 3, Genesis 48, verse 3. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you 
of fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make your community a people and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. He says, I will give you this land as a possession to you and your descendants. And God, again, fulfilled his promise. So if you look again at the map, all the tribes got it except Levi and Joseph. His promise was fulfilled. The two sons he adopted from Joseph now took over that land. You say, so, so what is all this about? Well, look in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We've been all this talking about the land was given to them. This was a promised land. This was their land. Now, if God had gave them this land, and they knew it was from God, and knew it was a promise that was passed down from generation to generation, how confident do you think they were in taking that land? How aggressive do you think they were in taking this land? If somebody even attempted to attack them, they knew God was behind them and with them. And nobody could stand them. So they conquered, they destroyed, they did everything they could because God had given them this land. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for everyone for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, that man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, that, te- that testimony given in its proper time. The Bible says that God wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So God gave them their allotted land. See, they couldn't do it alone, just those two. But they divided up the land so that man could become saved and have a relationship with God. And that's what he, he told them. But look at Matthew chapter 28. This was a promise from Abraham all the way down. And in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus comes and he says these very words. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. God called for his people, those 12 tribes, to take possession of their land, to conquer it, and to save the people. And then he says for us, even today, he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he says, then go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. So where should we go? What should we do? God has allotted us a proportion of land also. You know what land God has allotted us to have? Right here. God has divided it up. And he says, you know what? Your land is right up there. Right up top in the blue. That's the land you need to go to. And this is a blessing. He said, but how are you going to take the land? Are you going to take it by faith? Because if you lose faith and shrink back, I'm not going to be pleased with you. So you need to understand, I am with you wherever you go. This is the land that I've given you. I chose the times and the dates for you to live, the places for you to live, the places you used to work at, you used to go to school. I chose that for you. Why? So you can conquer this land and show who God really is. You know, that's the land he gave us back then. He gave them and then he gave us ours. And here we are. 
And you have to look and say, am I going to take possession of what God gave me? Am I going to take possession of it? Am I going to go after this with the confidence that they did? They had to go out to battle every day with swords and clubs. But yet, we still need to put on our full armor of God, and we need to go out and preach the word of God. And God said, this is where I want you to go. Yeah, you may wander off a little bit and help somebody in another place, but you need to come back home. And you need to invest there. And just as he leaned on his staff, and he felt so comforted because he could be buried in the promised land, you need to understand, you are placed in the promised land right now where God wanted you to be. Now here's the thing. Look back in Hebrews chapter 12. Just leave that up there for a little bit. Hebrews chapter 12. Y'all can read this in your own Bible. We don't need to scream for everything. Look at this. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Make every effort, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Every effort. It doesn't say try a little bit. It doesn't say work on it. It doesn't say struggle through it. Make every effort. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, we can't worry about what everybody else is doing. We can't worry about my neighbor. We can't worry about, are you in a mission team? Are you, what are you doing? And what's the deacon doing? Ain't nobody else teaching me in class. We can't worry about all this. We got to worry about what are you doing to make every effort. He says, verse 13, verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Listen, it's not an option whether you forgive or not. If you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. But your lack of forgiveness and bitterness will defile other people. Because the more people we bring in, if they see you with a bitterness and an attitude of hatred, and they start imitating it, everything's going to be defiled. That's not the promised land that God said. God wants us to live in a righteous, holy land. Verse 16, see to it that no one is sexually immoral. Now listen up. Or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance right as the oldest son. For a single meal, he sold his inheritance right. He had the blessings to be the firstborn, to be the one that the line of Jesus comes through. But he said, you know what? I feel hungry. So I'm going to give that up because I'm hungry. I need something to eat. I want some red stew. So he gave it up. Then you say, well, you know, he can work through that. God forgive him. God calls him godless because he gave up his birthright. Listen to me. Don't give up the privilege you have of being in God's kingdom as a son or daughter of God. Because God will look at that and call you godless. You say, but I'll just, I'll just repent and I'll just come back and listen to what he says there. Verse 17. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. He was crying. He was coming. Oh, please forgive me. Forgive. No. And there's going to come a point where God says enough is enough. He said that to Moses, quit asking me, you're not going to promise land, you can look at it, but you ain't crossing over, don't ask me again. He had enough when, it, when Moses had the tablets, he said, listen to those people, I'm about to just crush them all. They down there worshiping some golden calf. You just look through time and time again, John the Baptist, don't come out to get baptized by a show of works, repentance, prove it. 
The fruit of repentance. There's going to come a time when God says enough is enough. All those people at church hopping, you done hop one too many times. You done. All those people working on repenting, enough's enough. You should have repentance. You can't just work on it all your life. Well, I'm working through this. You should have done it. You've been a Christian 15, 20 years. You got to ask yourself, are you selling your birthright for eternal salvation? For some pornography? For some, 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 some crazy stuff? Some cigarettes? Some marijuana? Some all that stuff? It's legal now! What? You got to ask yourself, are you selling your birthright because you're bitter? You just can't get over what happened to you back in 1999. Prince even wrote a song about it just for you. 1999. Mark your year. How long does it take? But you, I'm a Christian though. Really? Seriously? See, they sold, he sold his birthright. It comes back to this. God has blessed each of us. He leaned against his staff on his dying day because he wanted to be buried where he knew God had promised that is your land. That's how much he believed and trusted in God's promise. And that land was his. Nobody was going to take it away. And they were going to help as many people as they could to be saved. Well, now it comes to you and me today. That's your land. Do you believe God has given you that land? You say, I don't know if I believe it. Well, he placed you there, so you got to believe it. It was God's will that you ended up where you are today. Everybody that came to visit today, I don't know who invited you, but God wanted you here today for a reason. Because you got to not just hear, but you got to see the truth of what's going on. There are a lot of churches in this city. But you know what? Just because it's a church building doesn't mean the people are living the way God wants them to live. There is a major difference in being religious and righteous. How can I know if I'm being righteous? Are you following the Bible? Not the preacher, not the singer, not your family. But many people follow what their family says. My family told me a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't good. But you know what? The Bible is good all the time. All the time. Yeah, I forgot. You know what I'm saying. I don't need to do a soundtrack. I can still sing that. Point being is this. Why is he in the hall of faith? Because he was faithful to God's promise to his dying day. Leaning upon his staff on his dying day, he was still faithful to God's promise. God has given you a lot of land. He's allotted you a proportion of land. What are you going to do with it? He says, I want all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. So now our job is to help that promise be fulfilled. That we help bring people to the knowledge of the truth so they can be saved. Brothers and sisters, Hebrews 11 is a great book. We got a lot more we're going to learn from it. But let me help you envision you walking away with realizing God has allotted you a proportion of land. We got to take this land. We own this land. Your father says it's your land. It's yours. Go out, preach the word, and to God be the glory.